I'm Massimo Bottura. This is Amanda Cohen. This is David Kinch. This is Mike Anthony. This is Huni Kim. This is Amanda Freitag. This is Richard Blaze. This is Paul Kahn. This is Curtis Stein. This is Stephen Harris. This is Missy Robbins. And you're listening to Andrew Talks to Chefs. Once the shutdown is over, people are going to be anxious to get out and anxious to socialize again. And what that new world entails, I'm not sure yet, but, you know, we're still not evolved so much that we've gone beyond like having a glass of wine or a cocktail and a nice dinner. That's still part of our, our, our DNA, really. The alternative for me is like, if I don't keep this positivity, if I don't look out and see the sun shining and know that I'm a day closer to getting this restaurant open, you know, my alternative is to curl up in bed and just, you know, listen to the cure for a while. I got to keep positive. There's no alternative for me. The date is April 15th, 2020, and that is restaurateur John Winterman of the soon-to-open Francie in New York City, our guest on this special report of Andrew Talks to Chefs. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is a special report of Andrew Talks to Chefs. I am your host, Andrew Friedman. As always, our great thanks to Sam Pellegrino for covering the production costs of these special reports. We wouldn't have been able to deliver them to you without them. So my guest today is John Winterman. If you don't know the name, John is a young veteran of the restaurant industry. He came up working for legends like Charlie Trotter in Chicago and Gary Danko in San Francisco. I first met John when he was at Cafe Balud on the Upper East Side of New York. And then he was a partner in the restaurant Batard in the Tribeca neighborhood of New York City, which won Best New Restaurant from the James Beard Foundation the year that it debuted. And John was, of course, a constant presence in the front of the house there, where in addition to making guests feel incredibly special, he also often did the cheese plating himself and did quite a great job on it. One of my favorite cheese courses I ever enjoyed in New York City was the night uh, John prepared one for me and my wife, Caitlin, at that restaurant. John is currently readying a new restaurant called Francie. It will be in Brooklyn, New York, where John lives. It will be in partnership with Chef Chris Cipollone, formerly of Peora Restaurant in Lower Manhattan. The restaurant is planned for an opening this year. And of course, along with the shutdown of currently operating restaurants, the march of Francie toward completion and opening was sidelined during the current suspension of business in New York City. I caught up with John yesterday to discuss how he's coping, his refreshingly positive outlook, and the unique fundraising effort that he and Chris have managed to coordinate, even though they don't yet have a fully functioning restaurant. Links to that, by the way, are available on the episode page for this conversation at andrewtalkstochefs.com, or you can visit the website for their restaurant, which is up and running, Francie Brooklyn, F-R-A-N-C-I-E-B-R-O-O-K-L-Y-N.com, and navigate to the happenings page. And with that, here's my conversation with John Winterman. I know it sounds like a trite question, but just 
you know, it's all relative right now, but how, how are you doing? How are you holding up? We're good. Uh, my, my partner, Chef uh, Chris Cipollone, and I are in, I think, a very fortunate spot right now, unlike a lot of other restaurants. We were still, when, when everything started shutting down, we were still about eight to nine weeks away from opening anyway. So the effect has been we're losing some free rent construction time, which we're negotiating to get back, and our landlord is super cool about it. Uh, but we didn't have any any payroll, and we didn't have any inventory. We didn't have to lay anybody off. So, um, you know, we we know how hard it is for restaurants that had just opened or been open for a month, and that's that's got to be a terrible position. And and somehow the timing, through no fault of anybody, just worked out this way. And um, you know, we're we, we're we're still able to to plan an opening. Hopefully, if everything starts to get back uh, around mid June, was construction more or less completed? Is there work? I don't even know what the rules are in Brooklyn right now. Is there work? Is any work able to happen as we're in the midst of a shutdown? Construction continued until about March twenty seventh, and then uh, uh, Uncle Cuomo um, shut down non essential construction, and that pretty much included you know retail, service, condos, things like that. Um, so they had to clean up and get everything in the space organized uh, to leave it. They were able to do some individual work offsite, like some mill work and metal work, but that itself is already ready to go. So they're not really doing anything right now. So from from the time that things are allowed to progress again until friends and family slash opening, if you're ever going to still do friends and family, what... Um, what kind of time frame are you estimating for yourselves? About five to six weeks. So not as bad as it could have been. Oh, no, it could have been terrible. Um, and again, uh, the, my heart goes out to those restaurants that had just opened or were just about to. Um, it's just a terrible thing. I can't imagine being in that position. It's, our scramble had to do with like you know rescheduling deliveries and making sure things didn't leave a warehouse. And I can't imagine scrambling to try to figure out what they do with 30 employees right now. John, you're someone, it's funny, when I called you, if you don't mind me saying this, before I started recording, I asked you how you were doing, and you said, I'm I'm fine, I'm sitting here, you know, waiting to do this interview and listening to some Strauss, you know, and I said, I said, well, that's how I picture you. Uh, you know, you are sort of a quintessential, I mean, you're you're an owner-operator at this point, but you are, you know, you are someone who spends time in your restaurants, you are, you were very much a presence for, for years in the front of uh, Batard. Um and uh, I do think of you as this sort of person who really, you know, cooks thrive on the energy of a kitchen and, you know, back in the back of the house. You seem to me like someone who is so in your element, being in a dining room, engaging with customers. What's it been for you to be without that at this time? And how powerful is the, forget the business of it um, and the commerce of it and the fiscal responsibility of it, just how emotionally difficult is it? for you to be without this dynamic that's been a part of your professional life and your workday for so long? You know, it's, I'm going to answer this in a weird way. It's not really difficult at all um, because I have the uh, extremely positive outlook about everything coming back. And I don't know, I don't like to use the word normal or new normal or anything like that. I think things will bounce back. We're in New York City and people want to go out and uh, I'm extremely positive about that. And so I, I, you know, I do things on a daily basis here that if you didn't know me, you would figure out pretty quickly. I did work in a restaurant. Like uh, we're we're cooking at home a lot, obviously, and we, we set the table. And my wife tries to pour a glass of wine into a water glass, and I'm like, no, 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 we have to get the proper stemware. 
you know, uh, we're still eating off China. I, I still, uh, you know, if mustard comes out, I put the mustard in a small little, you know, dish for the table. I don't put the jar on the table. When she wants a martini, I put in the proper glass. If we make an old fashioned, I go down and get the cut crystal. It's just, that's just the way I am at this point. Got it. You are the environment. <laughs> Yeah, you can make it. You can make the situation as as bad as you want to, I suppose. No, it's funny hearing you talk because all these things you just listed, like putting mustard in a little dish or, you know, the glassware. I actually, it must just be from dining in enough restaurants. I do all those things in my house. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they matter. You know, I was always confused when I grew up and you went somewhere and you're eating off a paper plate and your grandmother's got that really nice china in the cabinet. And you're like, why aren't you? Why aren't you using that? Right. Right, you know, right. They're like, "Oh no, that's for company." I'm like, "Aren't I company?" Right. <laughs> well, let's get let's talk about what you're doing. You know, a lot of restaurants have been sort of pivoting, as they say now. That's the verb, I guess, that we've all taken on. You know, takeaway and and some places have have started. You know, Hugh Atchison down in uh, Georgia has been selling um, you know catering contracts. You know, months in, in advance for when they're able to honor them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which I thought was very smart and clever. Can you talk? bit about what you were doing in in this realm because I thought it was so um, smart and kind of stylish and to me the the key thing with so many of these things is I feel like they need to be consistent with the personality of the business that's doing right it. and I feel like you you're sort of strangely before you're opening in a weird way to me, it's helping to establish a personality for the restaurant but I'd love you to just speak to that well you know Chris and I wanted to try to figure out how we could we could give back a little bit and um, we didn't have a way to do delivery or we didn't have a kitchen where we could like, uh, you know, make food for the healthcare workers. Um, and we had the ability to do gift cards, uh, but that's not really that, you know, that interesting. So I started talking to the woman who was helping us with the website and I said, I want to put together a couple of experiences so people can kind of prepay for something. And then I want to give a percentage of that to, um, uh, one of the relief funds. And we we chose the James Beard Foundation because we did have a dinner scheduled there on April 18th, which obviously was canceled. But, you know, because they're giving out grants to chefs and restaurants that apply for them, it seemed like a very democratic way to spread some money around. Uh, also, without hurting your feelings where you might be able to donate to one GoFundMe account, but not another. And then, you know, I, I, we, I know a lot of people in the business, so I didn't want it to make it uh, personal. Uh, and we wanted to make sure the money got uh, used in a, in a really great way. And, uh, so the James Beard house, their relief fund sort of fit that for us. Um, and then we put together, um, not only gift cards, but we put together, uh, you could buy a table for four for friends and family, which if you can't make friends and family, I would understand, but you know, then I would use that as a gift card toward the time you come in. Um, we put together a 12 top, uh, in the private room for $2,000, which is I think an extraordinarily good price. We've sold two of them so far. Um, yeah. And it's just, that includes, you know, uh, food, uh, drink, uh, tasting menu or whatever we're going to do. I, I left it all open ended right now. So we have some, some room to play around. And then we are selling, um, an experience. We could be in the kitchen one day and learn how to make pasta. Chris, who is, you know, basically I think the, uh, he's going to prove himself to be the preeminent, uh, pasta guy in New York city. Once we get open. Wow. That's a bold statement. Yeah. Good for you. I'm, I'm feeling bold, you know? Yeah. Um, and then, uh, the other one would be the guest chef of the day in the kitchen where you can come in and spend the time and see how, um, a restaurant set, sets up and, and operates for service. And then we would sit you down as a party of two. And so I think these, uh, you know, 
we've got we've gotten some pretty good feedback on it. And for a restaurant that doesn't technically exist yet, I think it's it's really great to see that faith uh, in in people and, and the support they're showing us. And we've already so we've already made our first donation to the Beard House as well. That's great. I mean, I'm not just flattering you, John. I think part of that probably has to do with your reputation as a, you know, an honest broker. Yeah, thank you, thank you. So how long will this these things be on offer? You know, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, I, I imagine they'd be through at least opening, and then maybe I can change them around a little bit if somebody wanted to prepay for. Because I, you know, the friends and family want to have to take off once we're out past friends and family, but I could probably fill it in with something else. Why don't you just tell people about the about the restaurant? What's it going to be like? How like how big a restaurant? What's the kind of approach to the menu. What are we looking forward to here? The size of the restaurant is going to be all in about 90 seats. And that would include the bar, uh, the main dining room and the private room. Um, at the end of the day, I think the main dining room is only about 18, 19 tables. It's not going to be huge room. It's going to be, uh, I think a very intimate room. Um, and the, the idea was we're calling ourselves a New York brasserie, which gives us all sorts of, uh, freedom, I think on the menu. Uh, to uh, to be creative, and I th- the idea of the brasserie for me is not just your traditional French brasserie with steak frites, uh, which I which I do really love. But you know, for me, it's more of an egalitarian uh, type of restaurant where you can have some super simple, straightforward, you know, three ingredient bites that are just absolutely delicious, and then you can go up and be as complicated as you want to with certain dishes. And I think there's a, a balance and a room room there for for both uh, uh, for both things on the menu. Um, and also, as a, a restaurateur I really admire in London would say, the, the brasserie allows the Duchess and the cab driver to be sitting next to each other. Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, well, there's this old line. The first time I ever heard it, I think, was in relation to um, Jeremiah Tower's restaurant, Stars, in San Francisco years yeah. ago, you know, that you could go in blue jeans or black tie, right? Yeah. And then that was applied to the now departed Gotha Barn Grill. Um, but right. that is very much to me one of the real things that started to change, I guess in the eighties in places like San Francisco and New York, where you could have a place that straddled those two worlds effortlessly. Right. Um, and now that's quintessentially New York. I mean, like you say, New York brasserie. Yeah. And I, I think it, it, it speaks of a, an energy, you know, and it speaks of being a neighborhood destination and a, a place where you, you walk by and you see that soft glow and you see people enjoying uh, themselves at the bar and, you know, I just, Honestly, like our, our uh, the rendition we have, or the, uh, the the rendering we have of our bar, like I, I literally want to sit there right now because it's going to be such a beautiful bar. That's great. You said something early in this conversation that I want to pick up on because I had been making a point of saying it now for a few weeks, and I feel more and more sort of drowned out, and maybe like people think I'm in denial or I'm crazy. But you you alluded to a bounce back. You alluded to a a resurgence when restaurants reopen. Um, you, you alluded to you having a feeling of positivity. Um, that is how I have been talking, but I find myself to be increasingly in a minority. Can you just speak to why you feel that way? Because I think it's important to feel that way and to put that out there. Well, I, I think the first is, you know, you can put it in perspective of, of, you know, great difficulties this country has seen in the past hundred years. And I haven't been around obviously, but, you know, I was here in, 2008, I was working at Cafe Balut for Danielle, and when the banking system started collapsing, and we had regulars who was were at Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers, and just they would just come in just pale, and 
they're like, this is going to get a lot worse before it gets better. And I remember going out after the holidays, it's early 2009. And, you know, the energy was just gone in the city. It was just terrible. And, and, you know, but within six months, at least not even six months, people were started going out again. They, you know, they started spending money again. The, the faith started coming back a little bit. Um, I think people have honestly short attention spans. So once this, uh, shutdown once however it's going to happen once the shutdown is over you know people are going to be anxious to get out and anxious to socialize again and you know what that new world entails i'm not sure yet but you know we're still not evolved so much that we've gone beyond like having a glass of wine or a cocktail and a nice dinner <laughs> like that's still part of our, our our dna really you know and the alternative for me is like if i don't keep this positivity if I don't look out and see the sun shining and know that when I'm a day closer to getting this restaurant open. You know, my alternative is to curl up in bed and just, you know, listen to the cure for a while. I got to keep positive. There's no alternative for me. I'm definitely a kindred spirit with you right now. And I do, you know, I'm t- everybody I talk to already, right? And we still, by all accounts, have at a minimum weeks more of whatever we're calling this shelter in place or quarantining. Um, Everyone I know is going stir crazy. Everyone I know uh, wants to get out. And everyone, when I ask them what that looks like, it's restaurants. It's restaurants. Mm. They want to get, they really miss restaurants. It is such a, I mean, and I don't think just in New York, but I think for sure in any big city. And I think even in places that people don't even think of necessarily as quote unquote restaurant towns. I think this is something people are really missing right now. I I, I don't think it's going to be much more than three or four months before people really start to look at the situation. Um, I wouldn't say it's a positive situation by any means, but they'll start to look back on it and, and think about the positives that came out of it, whether it's uh, something personal they achieved while they were, you know, stuck at home for a while or uh, how they handle the relationships or, you know, the, if they decided to take the time to like, you know, clean up or paint a room or learn a foreign language or whatever it is, or if they, you know, I, I think a year from now, we're going to be looking back on this and we're going to be like, Oh, remember that time we were, Everybody was stuck inside and Zoom conferencing was such a big deal. And, you know, it, it, we do. We, we, we tend to, as a, as a people in this country, look back on things and, and take the positive out of it. Well, I don't know about you. I mean, I do feel like people are kind of realizing some of that. I mean, obviously, it's a horrible thing. The, the, the mortality numbers are terrible and in, 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 in our city in particular right now. But, um, but for people who got, you know, for the, the lucky among us who – went into lockdown, didn't get sick. Um, it, it has been this, whether, like you said, introspection, uh, uh, creativity, cooking, um, time yeah. with people in your, I've, I don't know how many people I've talked to who have been rekindling connections right, right. with, you know, people they were friends with in college or high school or worked with 20 years ago. I, I feel like, the, I feel like this is a rampant thing, which you know, and and the earth is getting a little bit of a break, which you know is meaningful. I've got I've got a buddy who uh, said everybody talks about who they'd really like to be quarantined with, and he's like, I can tell you a list of people I definitely don't want to be quarantined with. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, you know, it's uh, you're right. It's I want to stay positive about this, and um, I do have I do have some friends on the front line too. You know, working in hospitals, and uh, in fact, one close friend of ours, my wife and me. Uh, uh, we, uh, she works at the CDC, but you know, the, you know, as, as hard as they are working and as stressful as it can be day to day for them, like 
what I'm struck by is still their, their, their positive attitude. They're not defeated by this, you know? Well, I mean, for me, I do think about like, I, I, you, neither of us were here. Right. But I think about something like the 1918 flu. Right. And I think about how far we've come since then. Uh, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, I mean, to say it's night and day doesn't even begin to get at it in terms of advances in medicine, science, technology, um, I just understanding of the human body and its various systems, understanding of of pathogens and things like that. You know, it's interesting, and I don't even mean this as a political statement, but you know, I saw I saw you called him um, Uncle Uncle Cuomo. I don't know I, I don't know if that was a term of endearment or not, but it was it was. I really admire him, what he's doing right now. I think he's been amazing. And you and I are talking today on the fourteenth, a Tuesday of April, and I watched. I happened to catch his midday or you know late morning briefing today. And he was talking about, you know, at the rate they're being produced, there aren't enough tests and, and things like this. And he told the story and it's an off told story. I'm not, he wasn't the first person to lean on this example, you know, but he talked about, um, uh, you know, the Apollo, the Apollo 13 mission and, uh, you know, the accident and, and how they got it back to earth, you know, and people in the past have cited things like putting a man on the moon, you know, and, and that was a half century ago and people were able to find a way, you know? So yes. And, you know, we all have to be patient and, 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 uh, I mean, I, I'm honestly, John, I do every morning. I just, you know, I can't help it how you can't help how you feel. I do sometimes in the morning need to shake off a little bit of gloom. Um, but you know, I try to do that before 8 a.m. You know, in the time right. that I'm, you know, between walking my dog and waking up and having a coffee, and you know, I just I. Well, if you own a dog, if you have a dog, that's about 90 percent of shaking gloom. That's right there. Do you guys have a dog? Yeah, little uh, little miniature Schnauzer. Yeah, he's my therapy. People ask me about meditation. I'm like, I don't need to meditate. I have a dog. Yeah, well, I do both, but um, but. Look, I'm someone who, if I'm 10 minutes late to a dinner reservation, I am so stressed out, it's beyond belief. But in a moment like this, I do tend to be an optimist. Well, Chris and I, we, we look at it like this. We, in our industry that's been so decimated, we are basically in a position where we're dealing with an inconvenience. There's nothing detrimental that's happened to us yet. We still have the opportunity to open. We still are working with a very, very generous landlord. So there's a lot of positives for us, you know, and there's a lot of there's, there are many more positions we could be in that are much more difficult, right? So that's one of the reasons it's easy for us to remain positive. Outside of the restaurant thing, John, what are you doing? I mean, you do have a lot of time on your hands. You must. <laughs> what are you What are you doing with it? Well, part of the time has been dedicated to to keeping the lines of communication open for the new restaurant, for France. Uh, and again, some of that is there was a couple of things we couldn't we couldn't uh, hold on to, so I did have to go to the space uh, two or three times the past couple of weeks to intercept a delivery. Um, we are making a couple of adjustments on some of the finishing details for the design. Um, we looked at some. Uh, we're trying to like put some things on the back burner that maybe not uh, we don't need right away from day one. So there's still some organizational things there, and you know there's there's still stuff that we think about like. Uh, um, the liquor license and getting the gas turned on. Like there's processes we still have to go through, even though they're delayed. The rest of the time, I don't know, uh, hanging out with my wife, cooking breakfast, cooking dinner. Are you binge watching anything? <laughs> uh, shamefully, yes. I'm binge watching the Gilmore Girls right now. Oh, are you? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> okay, that's I, shameful. I, so, Is it your first time through? No, but you know, back in '09 uh, or so, when my divorce was final for my first wife, I was going out like a, just relentless, just every night going out. And uh, I used to use it as a punchline when somebody didn't want to go out, or so if they wanted to leave early, I'm like, uh, "What are you going to do? Go home and watch Girl More Girls?" You know. Now the next thing is, I'm I'm, I'm like, you know, Lorelai and Luke are breaking up. Oh no. <laughs> Well, this is your penance for that. I have to say, I actually, it's funny, whenever the show comes up, it's a pleasant thought for me. I went to college and did college theater with Lauren Graham, if you can believe it. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, she was super nice. A little, a little bit of cred came back. I didn't realize Sebastian Bach kept making appearances in this show. I, I did not know that. Well, listen, John, thanks for taking the time to talk. I will put links to everything you're up to on the episode page and listing for this show. And... Uh, looking forward optimistically to visiting your new restaurant this summer. That would be great. I, I, I cannot wait. It's going to be a splashy opening, I hope. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening. Our thanks again to John Winterman for being our guest today. Best of luck to him and Chris on the project of Francie. And again, the links to their fundraising campaign are available at the andrewtalkstochefs.com episode page for this interview. Or you can visit Francie Brooklyn, F-R-A-N-C-I-E-B-R-O-O-K-L-Y-N.com and navigate to the happenings page. If you enjoyed this show, please explore our archives at andrewtalkstochefs.com or on your favorite podcast platform. And please tell your friends. Our thanks to Wild Turkey Surprise for today's opening music and to After School Special for the music you are listening to right now. Please seek them out online and enjoy more of their music. Thanks to our engineer, Margaret Kelly, for mixing these special reports. Our thanks to Sam Pellegrino for making these special reports possible. And of course, thanks to all of you out there in podcast land for listening. Please take care of yourselves. Take a breath, and we will all get through this together. See you tomorrow.